0: today is the day the Lord has made, hasn't he? We will rejoice always. Yeah, that's awesome. We need more joy in this world. And we're the ones that can supply it, eh? But that's for another message for another day. Um, So we don't have notices, so my scriptures won't be up there. So if you do want to follow through, you could probably open your Bibles to Psalm 95, because quite a bit of my message is from that. And I did notice this morning um, while reading it, David says, "Do not harden your hearts. No, today, if you hear, if you will hear the voice of the Lord, do not harden your hearts." Yeah, the, the, the having a hardened heart is probably the worst thing you can do as a Christian, eh? Because you don't hear the voice of the Lord, and you can get quite stuck and discouraged. And o- the only way back from that is to enter into His presence. There's something about God's presence. I don't know. Some of you might be relate to this. I find when God's near me, or You know, when you're in God's presence, it's like all the negative thoughts disappear. It's like clarity comes over your mind. It's like your body comes in line with your spirit because that's how it works. You know, the world deals with the mind and the body. That doesn't deal with the spirit. It's the spirit that dictates your mind and body. That's how it works. You deal with the spiritual side of things, you'll find your body and soul follows. That's why when you're in the presence of God, all that depression leaves while you're in that... You know, but as soon as you leave the presence of God, all that stuff comes back. So, I guess as a Christian, you know, we've got to learn to enter into His presence when we sense it and stay there. Because we have the Holy Spirit within inside us, we carry the presence of God. We're not in the Old Testament, We're at, we relied on a priest to get to the Holy of Holies. We, every single one of us, can go to the Holy of Holies, we can come boldly to the throne of grace. Alright, so my title my message is Entering into the Presence of God. You haven't worked it out. <laughs> so yeah, I was, to be honest, I was struggling to find it, to hear God's voice. And I heard God's voice this morning and it says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. Yeah, so right now the presence of God is here. Whether you sense it or not, the presence of God is here. It's up to you if you want to draw near. It's totally up to you. But the Bible does give us instructions quite logically on how to actually enter into the Holy of Holies, how to get closer and closer to God. We don't have to worry about God getting closer to us. He already said, you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. It's actually through praise and worship that we enter into His presence. It's, it's more important than we know. It's not about praise and worship at church. It's praise and worship at home. It's a daily thing. We should come through those doors already praising and worshiping. We're already there. It's not the band's job to get us there. It's not the church's job to get us there. It's on you. If all of us came to church like that, I can tell you right now, crazy things would happen in this atmosphere. Because some of us already have. You can tell some people have already come in here thankful and praising because the atmosphere is quite strong. God is here. He is with us. The Bible says that two or three gathered together in my name. I am amongst them. So Jesus is amongst us right now. Yeah. Do not harden your hearts. What is the voice of God telling you? Sometimes it's something you don't want to hear, but we need to hear it. So don't get offended. You know, in fact, God actually requires us to bring various gifts and sacrifices. Eh? For example, we, we just heard tithes and offerings as one. It's important to God. It's not about money. It's, it's, we use money because our life's based on it. We rely on money to live. So it's our way of saying, God, here's part of my life I'm going to trust you with. It's a personal decision and a revelation you need to come to yourself. No one's forcing you to do it. But I encourage you to give it a go. It is a process, it builds your faith. But there is a much higher level of offering, and the Bible speaks about these various special gifts that, are, that God actually requires us to bring to him. These are the spiritual gifts of thanksgiving, praise, and worship. I've personally never looked at it that way. And if I'm going to be honest, for a long time I didn't pay too much attention to praise and I didn't think it was quite significant to, unless you actually start studying it and finding out for yourself. But it's very significant, and, and it's probably the core thing for a Christian. This should, this should be part of our daily lives. It's just like I said, it's not just something we offer to God on a Sunday, it's every day. It's continually throughout the week. I'll give you an example. The life of King David, he was always praising God. Psalm 34, verse 1 to 2 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My shop, my soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. So even people around you hearing you praising God will be glad. There's an atmosphere that comes off you. You know, this is how we change the world. You know, God actually makes it easy. It's just we've got to enter into his presence. Let his presence do the work. Thanksgiving, praise, and worship are actually very distinct, but they do blend into one another. For example, the color of a rainbow, all every color is distinct, but they all blend into one another. So here's how I would distinguish the three gifts. Thanksgiving relates to God's goodness. We know how good God is. You study it. If you don't know, you should know. Praise relates to God's greatness. How great thou God. I mean, that song goes off every time. Why? Because we're telling God. Praise is telling God how great He is. He, want, he It's His praise. It belongs to Him. And worship relates to God's holiness. Now, holiness is a bit of a funny topic because God's holiness isn't a class by itself. It's an attribute of God that is most difficult for the human, human mind to comprehend because it has no parallel or comparison on earth. You have nothing to compare it to. We can talk about the wisdom of God because there are wise people, King Solomon. We can ask for the wisdom of God, so we we see examples of it. We can talk about the greatness of God. There are great men and women in the Bible that did great things. So we can relate to greatness. We can talk about the power of God because we've seen His power and demonstrations of His great power. But apart from God, there is no earthly examples of His holiness. There is none. The Pope's not an example. Buddha's not an example. Muhammad's not an example. All these guys that portray themselves as holier than thou are not examples of holiness. That's man's example. And there's always a bit of law behind it. It's control. It's something unique to God, and it's to those who receive it from Him. You can only discover it by entering into His holy of holies. I believe worship relates directly to God's holiness. But because it's hard to understand His holiness, and if you don't have a revelation of it, it can be hard to truly enter into worship. Therefore, worship is the most difficult of these three gifts or sacrifices for the believer to offer in a way that is acceptable to God. You see, thanksgiving and praise are primarily utterances of the mouth. It's something we shout out. We express it through our words. But worship is primarily an attitude. It's not a song. It's not a playlist. Christians are real good at making playlists. Worship's not a playlist. It's not a band. It's not a guy on a guitar. It's different. It's not words. It's an action. So that's why it's important we understand these three gifts and make them part of our offering to God daily. So let's briefly look at praise. Praise. Praise praise runs like a golden thread throughout the Bible, the entire Bible, from the beginning to the end. You see, because praise is eternal. Its origin is in heaven. Praise is also associated with the earth's creation. You can see this in Job 38, verse 4 to 7. This is God challenging Job with some questions. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched out the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? That's praise. That's a picture of the beginning of the earth. It was praise that sent this planet spinning on its axis. It's the responsibility of us, God's people, to keep that praise going. Our praise marks the earth's course, eh? You know? Let's give God a praise right now. We're all looking a little bit quiet. Come on. Praise God. Come on. Come on. Come on. Let's get. Don't be so reserved. Praise God. How great is our God? God is great. Tell God how great He is. Who cares what the person next to you thinks? Come on. God is great. Yeah. Awesome. Got to get out of our comfort zones if you want change. Can't be comfortable. Cannot be comfortable. So, you see, so praise is the appropriate way that we actually relate to God as king on his throne. Psalms 22 verse 3 says, But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. So when combined with thanksgiving, praise gives us access to God. We see this in Psalms 104, where the psalmist said, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. So there we have our first instruction. This is what praise and thanksgiving does. We enter into his courts. It's a key that unlocks a gate. So like I said, notice the way of access. All the gates to God are praise. The only way to God's presence and dwelling is through praise. Because it's praise that opens the gates into the outer courts. So praise continually in my mouth. It's why King David was continually praising God. He was continually in his court. It's what, why David stood out among so many people. You know, uninterrupted access to his presence actually requires uninterrupted praise. Praise. What does that mean? For example, do you let circumstances interrupt you when you're offering your praise to God? Are your thoughts somewhere else when you're praising? Are you, is your situation turning bad and dire and so you stop praising God? That's when you need to praise God. That's our warfare. That's when you really got to dig your toes in. It's the only way out. Don't let the circumstances stop you from praising God because that's the point. That's the whole point is to get you to stop praising. Doesn't the, the darkness, the devil, Satan, whatever you want to call him, doesn't want you in the presence of God, because that's where we're safe. You know, like Jesus said, I think Richard even mentioned it, you know, it's like a mother's hen. It's like that. We're in his, you know, that's our comfort zone, if you want to sort of explain it that way. You know, there's a passage in Psalm 95 that depicts the progress into worship. It actually begins with a loud, jubilant praise. Psalm 95, verse 1. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. This does not always mean loud singing. Shouting is shouting. Sometimes we've got to shout joyfully. That's why I got you guys to shout. Don't be afraid to shout joyfully about letting Him know how great He is. We're not letting the person next to you know how great God is. We're, it's, it's me letting God know in whatever form that comes. Psalm 145, verse 3, God is the Lord, uh, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. You know, in fact, if you're not prepared to praise Him greatly, there's no point praising Him at all, because God's not into half-arseness. You know, you can't have one foot in the church and one foot in the world. It doesn't work. I've been there. It just doesn't work. The Bible, I mean, Jesus uses quite a graphic example. He calls, calls that type of person lukewarm. And he'd rather spit you out, spew you out, because he'd rather have you hot or cold. Because it's, it's all in or nothing, eh? We've got to come to that realization. You know, I'm talking to myself here too. So now let's briefly look at Thanksgiving, the, the second gift. Hebrews 12:28 says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. So that's the new King James Version, which says, let us have grace. But if you read the new International Version, it translates the same verse differently. It says, therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. The, the, good, the funny thing about this is both translations are actually correct. Because to have grace, translated in Greek is charis. Which is the same as saying thank you, so both translations are correct. So it appears to be a direct connection between grace and thankfulness. An unthankful person is actually who, an unthankful person is actually outside the uh, grace of God. You cannot be unthankful and be found within the grace of God, because grace is about being thankful. An ungrateful if you have an ungrateful child, it <laughs> kind of out of your favor a little bit because. It's not a nice feeling when someone's ungrateful, is it? So you cannot separate thankfulness from from the grace of God. So, you know, think about it when we say grace before a meal. What are we really saying? We're saying let us be thankful. That's why it's called grace. You know, what are you thankful of? I'm thankful for a lot of things in my life. I'm thankful mostly that God saved a wrench like me. That's what I'm thankful for. That with all my mess and problems and issues, he still saved me. He still came down to my level and saved me. How can I not be thankful? Are you thankful? Really? Tell God that you're thankful now. You don't have to shout it out. Maybe just say whatever you're thankful for and for. Are you thankful for a healing? Are you thankful for salvation? Are you thankful for his awesome grace? Because if it wasn't for his grace, I wouldn't be standing here. We're not perfect. Psalm 95 verse 2, I told you there's a bit in Psalm 95. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and let us shout joyfully with psalms, to him with psalms. So we here we have two stages of access to him, thanksgiving and praise. There is no other way into the presence of God. Yes, we can come to church and feel the presence, but to enter into it, thanksgiving and praise. So you have a choice when you come to church. You know, you can sit there and ignore everything and just walk out that door angry. Or you can humble yourself and see what God's actually saying and let His presence fix some things within you. Because there are some things that man cannot fix that only God can. Depression is one of them, I know. Only the presence of God can wipe that off, personally, I don't know. Drugs and counselling help, but it doesn't solve the root issue. does not. doesn't. And there are side effects to the medication anyway, you know. You know, the Bible is very logical. It, does not ask us, it doesn't just ask us to thank God, it tells us why. Psalms 95, verse 3. For the Lord is the great God and the great King above all gods. That's why. Because He's great. He is the great King above all gods. Remember, it's by praise that we acknowledge God's greatness. So in that scripture, the word great is used twice. The Lord, the great God... And the great king above all gods. we acknowledge His greatness by a loud, jubilant and excited praise. Then we see him as the mighty Creator. Praise and thanksgiving is our gateway into worship. So now, as soon as we get to worship, it changes from utterance to attitude. Psalm 95 verse 6, "O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker." And you see how different worship is. It's not about singing anymore. It's not about praising anymore. You've got to the Holy of Holies. It's a Yeah, so here we have passed from utterance into attitude. We began with praise and thanksgiving, but that wasn't the end goal. It was the precursor to worship, true worship. Sometimes we tend to stop with praise and thanksgiving, and we do. We end up missing the goal. You see, true worship is not an utterance, but it's an attitude. It's how you act around the presence. Some people run away from it because they're living in condemnation. But don't you know God sees everything anyway and He loves you anyway? Don't you know He's forgiven you? Don't you know He's made you righteous? It's not based on your works. It's based on Him. Okay? Don't run away from the presence of God. Let Him sort you out. If you're struggling with stuff like that, let the presence of God come in. Let it come in. So when you come into contact with or become aware of or have a revelation of His holiness, there is only one response. It's worship. The The holiness of God cannot be explained. It cannot be defined, but it can only be revealed. I think people, like I said before, tend to have the idea of holiness as a set of rules about where you may go, what you may do, how you may talk, and how you may dress. But that has nothing to do with holiness. In fact, Paul the Apostle was very emphatic about this in Colossians. He said in Colossians 2, verse 20 to 23, Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why? Why? As though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern the things which perish with using or according to the commandments and doctrines of men. That's all they are. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, but it's false humility and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. You know, it's so true that the more you focus... On what you must not do, you end up doing. It's the more power you, the more power you give to it. So think about it. Say you have a, an anger problem. So you focus, all right, I'm not going to get angry today. I'm not going to get angry. That's, that's what you're focusing on. You're really trying. And what, before you know it, you've got angry. You're focused on the wrong thing. So you can see why so many people have decided they want nothing to do with holiness because they have the wrong image or perception. They think it's about do's and don'ts. Can't do this. I can't do this, and then you do it. You're not. Your, fo- your focus is wrong. You've Got to just be focusing on God and what He's done for you. Don't focus on the problem. The solution's right there. Focus on the solution, which is His presence. That's it. Hebrews twelve uh, verse ten speaks of. Um, God's discipline. It says, For they indeed for a few days chasten us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Isn't that funny? Correction. If you're corrected, it's part of that whole process of being a partaker of his holiness. You know, Paul says be holy. We be holy by over time God will go, okay, well, you now need to deal with this. Now you need to deal with this. You know? Partakers of his holiness. So God corrects us through preaching or through someone that we're accountable to or mainly the pastor. So don't get offended. Too many people get offended and leave and they leave with that same problem and never gets resolved. And they wonder why they're angry and grumpy and have a grudge against the church. And they're angry at God. Totally deceive themselves. They've hardened their hearts. It just gets harder and harder and harder. In fact, Paul talks about a hardening heart and. I won't get into that, but yes. So, you know, Hebrews 12.10, like I said, speaks about of the discipline that God as a father has for his children. He does this so we be taught to his holiness. So God is, not only, God is not only holy because he is a set of... He, uh, sorry, I've muddled all that up. I need some water. God is not holy because he has a set of rules in front of him to check his own conduct. Rules have nothing to do with biblical or divine holiness. Holiness is the essence of what God is. Everything about God is holy. So in order to get a revelation or understanding of his holiness, we need to know who God is and what he is like. Get to know God, know his character, his attributes. So let's take a brief look at seven attributes of God. I'm just going to roughly quite skim over it, so, but this should give you a broad idea, and it's up to you to go and study it. Number one, God is light. 1 John 1, 1.5 says, This is the message which we have heard from Him and declared to you, that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. So God is light. He not only creates light, He sends light forth, but He Himself is light. Secondly, second attribute, God is love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 to 11. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this love of God was manifested towards us that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him in this love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation of our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also to love one another. If you have trouble loving yourself loving other people, let God love you first. It's not about you loving God first. It's about God pouring his love on you first. That's what that scripture is saying. He loved us first. He gave his son for us. He's done so much. I uh, use the example, I've used the example before. It's like uh, parents will understand when your kid starts to talk and they they say to you, I love you dad or love you mom. Did you tell them to say that? No, they said it because you love them. They learnt the love of you. See, kids learn to love from examples, and you, mainly the parent. So if you love your children, and they will, they will love you back, it's the same with God. He loves us. Do we love God back? Remember, Jesus said, you know, to love your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. And I used to think, how the heck can I do that? Well, let God love you first. He will teach you. Let his love pour through you. Man, the world needs his love. It's such a mess. There's so much division. You're either on the right or the left. It's ridiculous. There's no center anymore. Just look how nasty politics have got. It's it's just everywhere. It's just enough's enough. We need to come together as one people. We've got to stop separating us by race and religion. Like, get over it. Okay. There's a greater enemy, actually, that's portraying it all why are they causing division it's darkness divide and conquer have you not heard that divide and conquer we're divided we're being conquered until we unite as one people we'll never conquer the system or darkness it's the same with the churches too many churches believe in too many different things we've all got to come together as a church Every denomination needs to come together. need to get over whatever they need to get over with. We should all have a common goal, and that's to spread the love of Jesus. Why can't we get there? We can. We should. We should lead it. Why can't we be the ones to start it? So let's learn God's love. So God is both light and love. Number three, God is justice and judgment. This is definitely part of his nature. In Deuteronomy, Moses emphasized this. In Deuteronomy 32, verse 3 to 4, For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribed greatness to our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice. A God of truth without injustice, righteous and upright, he is he. That's our God. Sometimes people accuse God of injustice because a particular situation didn't work out the way you intended it to. That doesn't mean that God's injustice. You know, the Bible confirms there is no injustice in God. He is totally just. That's why He justified us. That's why we had to have His righteousness. Because before that, our righteousness was what? It was filthy as rags. So we needed Jesus' righteousness because God is a just God, so He had to sort that bit out. He loved us so much, He thought, I've got to make my people righteous. So I'm going to give up my son so they can be righteous. Do you understand? Righteousness is a big deal. There's a lot of thought went behind it, eh? God thought of everything. Because he's a holy God. He knew we couldn't live up to the commandments. How do I get around this? Well, I need to make my people righteous. Someone needs to fulfill the contract. And it was Jesus. Jesus our Lord and Saviour, the King of Kings. So like I said, the Bible confirms there is no injustice in God. He is totally just, a God of truth. Consider the words of Abraham in Genesis when he was pleading with the Lord about Sodom. I'm sure most of us know the story. In Genesis 18, verse 25, this is um, Abraham talking to God. Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? He was appealing to his character. Abraham knew who God was. He knew there was justice in God. He knew God wouldn't kill the righteous with the wicked. He was appealing to him. That is who God is. He is the judge of all the earth. And he always does right. There is no injustice, no iniquity within him. You know, we are often tempted to believe that God is unjust, but the scripture declares emphatically this couldn't be further from the truth. There's no question about it. Just because your circumstance or just because we're waiting for justice is a different thing. Let God deal with it. I tell you, if you want to know, if you want to see God's justice, go and read Revelations. There's justice coming. Okay, it's coming, and God's got it reserved for a day. He's reserved it for a particular day because God's timing is perfect. There's a reason why God's doing it that way. Okay, number four. Most people probably don't want to hear this, but God is anger and wrath. This is part of his divine character. You know, this is something that's not really talked about and people don't really want to hear it, but it is very important. Our God is a God of anger and wrath. In Nahum, if I've pronounced that right, verse uh, chapter 1, verse 2, it says, God is jealous and the Lord avenges. The Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries and he reserves the wrath for his enemies. Yeah. Who are his enemies? It's darkness. It's the Satan. It's the demons. It's those who choose darkness over light those who choose evil. The Lord is angry, he is furious, and he avenges himself. This is a part of God's divine, eternal nature. If we leave this part out, we are not presenting the true picture of God. You know, like I said, the book of Revelation will give you a glimpse of God's judgment that will befall the Antichrist. Revelations 14, 9 11. Then a third of the uh, angel... the. Then a third angel followed him, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or his hand, he himself shall also drink the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out in full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke in their torment ascends forever and ever, and they'll have no rest day or night who worship the beast in his image, whoever receives the mark of his name. It clearly states who the enemies are there. It's funny because it says, tormented in the presence of the lamb. Who's the lamb? Not exactly the contemporary picture of a gentle Jesus, meek and mild, is it? Jesus is gentle and meek, but he's also, he's he's got an authoritarian, you know, he's got authority on him. You know, God gave us emotions, so why would we think God doesn't have the same? They came from God, so God does get angry gets annoyed and so does Jesus remember when Jesus overturned the tables in the temple was that not a picture was that meek and mild so Jesus knows when there is a time to put your foot down and there's a time not to it's timing Revelations 22, verse 18 to 9, For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part in the book of life. From the holy city and from the things which are written in this book, it's a pretty serious statement. That means don't pervert the Bible. Don't take scripture out. Don't add things to the Bible. It's pretty clear. If anything's clearly written in the book of Revelation that there is internal judgment, don't deceive yourselves. There is an internal judgment for everybody. There is a spiritual life outside of ours, eh? Number five, God is mercy and loving kindness. The word in scripture that's translated as loving kindness uh, means steadfast love. What I think that means is covenant-keeping faithfulness of God. It's God's faithfulness to his covenant, one of his greatest attribute, attributes. You know, in Psalm 51, David was praying in a time of deep distress when his soul was hanging in the balance. It was a prayer of repentance for his sin against Bathsheba and Uri had been uncovered. He had murdered someone because he wanted their wife. Pretty serious. So David was repenting. And in Psalm 51, one, it says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your lovingkindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. According to your loving kindness is a reference to God's covenant keeping faithfulness. God keeps his word. If he's made a covenant with you, he keeps it. We're in the new covenant, he's keeping his word all the time. We can appeal to that covenant. When we ask for forgiveness, we're appealing to his mercy and his forgiveness. It also goes for healing. There's no we, we we should we should have healing. We can appeal to it. It's part of His covenant with us. So according to your loving kindness as a reference to God's covenant-keeping faithfulness. David was basically saying, "You have committed yourself to forgive. If I meet the conditions, I am appealing to you on that basis. How important is it?" to be able to approach God that way. Psalm 106 verse 1 says, Praise the Lord, O give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. His mercies endure forever. You can appeal to God's mercies. Number six, God is grace. Very quiet. Haven't gone to sleep on me, have we? Okay, number six, God is grace. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. To help in the time of need. Come boldly to the throne of grace. That's coming into the presence of God. And we learned today that grace means to have a thankful heart. So as long as we have a thankful heart, we can come boldly to His throne, is what it's saying. Come boldly with thankfulness. There are two things in this passage which you cannot earn. It's mercy and grace. We first need mercy, but then we need grace. You know, grace cannot be earned. Religious people have a real problem with this because they think they've got to earn everything. Their whole philosophy is performance-based. So they end up turning down the grace of God because of this, because they feel like it's all in their own strength. I did this. I got to this rank. It's all about me. We need mercy for the past and we need grace for the future. It's only by God's grace that we can become the kind of people and live the kind of lives that he requires of us. It's through his grace. All right, last one, number seven. God is power. The whole Bible is full of testimonies of God's power. You know, the parting of the Red Sea, feeding the, the people in the wilderness, for manna from heaven. There's all sorts of stuff. Lazarus being raised from the dead. Jesus being raised from the dead. You know, the 3,000 that got saved, there's, there's, there's many demonstrations. But I want to read Psalm 93, verse 1 to 4, because this is David's way of explaining God's power. The Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed. He has girded himself of strength. Surely the world is established so that it cannot be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods... Lift up their waves. The Lord is the Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, than the many than the mighty waves of the sea. All right, so hopefully we can get a kind of a broad picture, give you a starting point. So just wrapping up a bit, I wanna, you know, uh, in Revelations 4:8, it says the four living creatures, each having six wings, full of eyes, around within. And they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, holy, Lord God Almighty, who is and is to come. This is a vision from John. So he saw this in heaven. So there are creatures there saying, Holy, holy, Lord God Almighty, who is and is to come, continually. This is worship. I believe there is significance in the threefold repetition. Holy is the Father, holy is the Son, and holy is the Ghost, and no one else is holy. God is unique in his holiness. So worship is our response to the holiness of God. For when we know the holiness of God in any measure whatsoever, the appropriate response is always worship. Not running away, not looking at your phone, or talking to your neighbor, and so on. We thank God because we are grateful for what He has done. We praise Him And we are acknowledging his greatness. And now we enter into his courts, but what are we there for? We are there to worship him. This is where we access the heart of God. You know, it reminds me of a story, I'm sure most of us know, of the woman that uh, poured out that expensive perfume over Jesus. And we all know the response of a particular, you know, I think was Judas who was more worried about, we could have sold that and fed the poor, but really Jesus knew he was more worried about money. But it's funny, you know, if you read Matthew, I think it's Matthew or Luke, they just briefly go, oh, it's just some woman that poured oil over Jesus, and you don't really get a background. And, you know, it's like the disciples got too familiar with Jesus. didn't wasn't really paying attention, but John, if you read John chapter 11 and 12, it actually explains why this woman did it and who is she. So if you read chapter 11, it's about when Jesus came and rose Lazarus. Now, the the lady I'm talking about is named Mary. She was there. It's Lazarus' sister. She saw the Lord raise her brother from the dead. So in chapter 12, six days later, Jesus is in their house having dinner with them. And Lazarus and all that are totally focused on Jesus, lying on him and stuff. And she comes along and she's been saving this up for a special day because it was a very expensive perfume. She was saving it for a special occasion. Now this was her time. This was her act of worship. She poured it all out over Jesus. Now Jesus knew that and so did John. It was an act of worship. You know, the the thing that comes to mind is worthy is the lamb. Is he worth it? She was showing Jesus in her capacity, this is me showing how much you're worth to me. That was probably the, the most precious thing she had. You know, it's like the the woman who gave everything in, in the temple offering. She gave a mite. And Jesus sat there and watched rich people giving lots of money. But he noticed her because she gave everything. It was an offering. It was worship. Total worship. Nothing else mattered other than I want to worship you, Lord. That's our reaction when we get to the Holy of Holies. Are you with me? Are you encouraged or discouraged? Uh. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. How much of the band is here? Okay. It's a shame. I would have liked to finish off in praise, but um, we're going to close the service now. But before we go, if anyone wants prayer, please come up to the front and the leaders will pray for you or myself. But I also want to put a call out. I don't know if there's anybody here that's never actually made a decision to give their heart to Jesus and I would like to offer you the opportunity if you'd like to um, when the service when prayer comes up just come up and see one of us I'd like to pray for you and give you something but I can tell you from personal experience it's the best decision you'll ever make you've got nothing to lose actually God's not asking you to do anything other than make a decision you don't have to hand over money or anything it's not like we're after your money it's it's more we want to help you be a better person. God's got better things for you. He's got a future for you. You know, God God has laid out a plan for every single one of us before we were even born. So, you know, if that's you, please come up. And I mean, if, if you feel like you're backslidden or you're, you're kind of dead, you're, you're feeling a bit dead or your heart's a bit hardened and, and you'd like a bit of help to maybe get it back into the presence of God or just maybe redo the prayer, please come up as well. But, um, other than that, Haley, if you can just play some music and um, have a good rest of your week and maybe dwell on this message or go study it. Maybe try it for a week. Praise God every day. You know, wake up in the morning and praise him. See if you can get to that place of worship by the time we come here on Sunday. Won't it be amazing? Awesome. All right, thank you.